my next door neighbor right around the corner is putting a deck in and they're they're doing a very large deck and so as I've watched them put this deck together as Marilyn and I are getting ready to put one in ourselves because theirs is extra large they're required by the county for safety reasons to have a steel I-beam that runs all the way across steel posts I mean it is this the, the rest of the house may fall, but if a tornado comes, the deck's standing. It's, it's not going anywhere, but it, it's for safety purposes. And that's because there are going to be people who are going to be on that deck. And for the very right reasons, it's necessary for that deck to be appropriately safe. As we go through Ephesians, as we studied the first three chapters, Paul lays out a groundwork a foundation of doctrinal truth. And for us, that is safety as well. It is, it is the foundation. It is like putting in a steel beam because as he moves into chapter 4, as we started chapter 4 a few weeks ago, and as he moves into chapter 4 and he begins talking about not just the doctrinal truths that, that strengthen the church, but he's talking about how we're to practice those doctrinal truths, how we're to live those doctrinal truths in our lives, apart from understanding sound doctrine, we would be off base in the way we practice our Christian life. We could go down roads that are unsafe. We, we could fall into areas, whether it's legalism or licentiousness. We can misuse what it means to live for Christ. And, and so Paul wisely grounds us in doct- doctrinal truth. And on this foundation, it's where he adds instruction. And this morning... We're going to be studying in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. <clears throat> but I'd like to start, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd like to start again in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, Thank you for these words. Thank you that you have given us the Bible to teach us first about Christ and then how to live for Christ. Lord, thank you for all that you've done within us, that you have helped us, that you have more than helped us. You have saved us. You have saved us from our own deceitful sensualities and greed and scheming and cunning and craftiness. Lord, you have saved us from a life that where we were alienated from God the Father. Now, Lord, please take these words and give them life to us. Encourage us through them this morning. Equip us through them this morning. Strengthen us through them this morning. Refresh us through them this morning. And Lord, help me. Help me to speak your words in such a way that these dear men and women meet you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the Ephesian church has been well-grounded in doctrinal truth. And as you read this passage, verses 17 through 24, as I read through this passage, the, the temptation is to... Con- think about this passage and focus in on what we are supposed to do to put off the old ways, to put on the new ways, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And, and that is true. That is what, what Paul is asking of us. These, these are commands. These are exhortations in Scripture. But more importantly, Paul has a, a deeper focus, I think a more theological focus, because just because we're walking through instruction now, it doesn't mean we abandon theology. It doesn't mean we abandon truth. But there's something here that I think Paul sees as more important. The focus of this passage is not on our effort to be holy, although that is what we are being called to. But I think the focus and the, the purpose of this passage is to help us understand that we are new creations in Christ. That we can live 
holy lives. We can put off the old. We can put on the new. We can live a life that is no longer greedy or callous or hardened hearts or practicing every kind of impurity because we are new creations in Christ. That is what Paul is after. Now, this church in Ephesus is is a new church. It is in a city that is considered one of the most wicked cities in all of Asia. It is a church that Paul rightly describes living in a city. He says, you are living among people who are futile in their thinking. You are living among a people who are darkened in their understanding. You are living in a city that is alienated from the life of God. Ephesus is a wicked, wicked place. And the Ephesian church lives smack in the middle of all of this vile, wicked living. And before we we get too worked up about how vile and wicked these people are, Paul's point is that you were one of them. You were among these people. You are, he says, you are to no longer walk as the Gentiles because that's where you did once walk. And so Paul is, is encouraging them. He is wanting to help them as they do live in the midst of a city where the focus of the city is this temple. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the, the temple of Artemis or Diana, the goddess of sex. And it is a city that in all its perversity glorifies sin in, in ways that even we can't imagine. Now think about being a member of the Ephesian church. Think about sitting there on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night and you are surrounded by the sounds and the life of that wickedness. And you've been miraculously saved by Christ out of that lifestyle. A destructive lifestyle. And now, because you are no longer a part of that world, you are actually despised by the people of that city. They look at you with disdain. And they wonder, what, what has gone on with this person? What's changed them? What's made them so different? Well, it's because Jesus has transformed them. They are new creations in Christ. And what was once pleasurable for them is now hateful. What was once something that you were drawn to, now as a member of this church, you are no longer drawn to that. Because now you belong to Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. And our world is similar in many ways. And the cities that we live in are similar in many ways. It doesn't take much to walk down a city street. In some of the places that I've traveled throughout the world, Amsterdam, Calcutta, places where you just see the worst that the world has to offer. You think, oh God, thank you for rescuing me from that. And we are different now. Much like the Christians in Ephesus, though, Paul 
wisely says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in verse 17. Why does he say that? Because in the midst of this city, in the midst of this lifestyle, temptation still exists. The desire to be drawn back into that lifestyle still is there. It's real and it's alive. The culture, the people, the pleasures, and even our own desires conspire to draw us back. But we're not the people we used to be. We're not the men and women that we were before God intervened in our lives and we came to faith and we trusted in Jesus Christ. We became new creations. We're not the people we used to be. And so it's why Paul can in verse 1 say, walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you have been called. Because the benefit of being a new creation in Christ is that we can now live for Christ. We can live for Him. And Paul is, Paul is laying out for us instruction, but he's also, once again, building into that instruction theology that we can do what God has commanded us to do Because we are now new creations in Christ. We can do what God has called us to do. Because we're new creations in Christ. We're not slaves to sin anymore. Now, we don't always feel like new creations. Marilyn says, I have a noise. It kind of goes like this. Mm. She says, I make that noise when I get out of bed. When I get out of a chair. When I roll over in bed. And actually, sometimes when I walk. It's just a noise I make, and it's basically a noise of my body is aging, it's falling apart, and I get out of a chair and I go, <laughs> and I'm sure you all have your own noises as well. I, I sometimes don't feel like a new creation, and I often sometimes don't feel like a new creation, especially when it involves spiritual growth. Sometimes it just seems like I grow so slowly. And the same things that Marilyn has wisely and compassionately most of the time been pointing out. Areas where I am weak. It's like, I I thought I changed. You pointed that out two years ago. What, has nothing changed in two years? Oh, no, no, honey, a little's changed. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. But you know what? We all grow slowly, and that's okay. That's okay. The testimony of God's Word tells me something different. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Now, Paul is beginning with this. He said, listen, this I say, or in some other translations he would say, therefore I testify in the Lord by the authority of of God. So Paul is not speaking on his own authority. He's speaking from God's authority. He said, on God's authority, he is saying this, you must no longer walk. Now, in the, he's saying you're different. You don't have to walk the way you used to walk. And I love the, I love the King James version of this, of this passage, actually, because Paul, as he's writing, he, he, it's, it's translated, henceforth, 
you must no longer walk. Henceforth. And what does he mean by henceforth? It really means as a result of the gospel. You are different. You are a new creation. You are are not the same. Henceforth. So from, from this point forward, because you are no longer the person you used to be, you are a new creation in Christ. God in Christ has rescued you from the slavery of sin, from the passions of your own flesh, from the world in which you were living that was destructive, that was alienated from God, darkened in your understanding, futile in your thinking, hard in your heart, callous, giving yourself up to greedy practice of every kind of impurity. You have been rescued from that. No longer are you there. You are a new creation. And as I said, when I, when I first read this passage, I, I initially noticed the things that, that God was requiring of us, the put-offs and the put-on, and, and you must no longer. But, but then as I read this passage more, I was encouraged by not what I'm supposed to do, but who I am. Who I am in Christ. Who you are in Christ. So just three points this morning about who you are in Christ, that why you can live for Christ, why you can put off the old and put on the new, why you can be renewed in spirit, why you can no longer walk as you once walked, no longer walk as Paul says the Gentiles walk. Why you can do that is three things. Number one, it's because he's delivered us from the slavery of sin and death. He's delivered us from the slavery of sin and death. Secondly, he has revealed himself to us that we might know him. He has revealed himself to us. He has opened our eyes. The very opposite of being darkened in our understanding and having a futility of mind. He has revealed himself to us. And thirdly, he is transforming us. He is transforming us. And it is a it is a spiritual reality and it is a spiritual mystery that, that Scripture actually teaches that we are both transformed and are being transformed. That we have been completely changed by Christ. We are no longer dead in sin, but as Paul writes earlier in Ephesians 2, we are made alive in Christ. We've been brought from death to life. As he says in Romans 6, we are no longer slaves of sin, but we've become slaves of righteousness. We are now children of God, no longer, as Scripture says, children of wrath. We are the Lord's. We have been transformed. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness because of his death on the cross. So we are different, but we are also being transformed because we live... In unredeemed bodies. That's why I make noises when I get out of chairs. It's not my fault. It's my unredeemed body. (laughs) That's the challenge that we face. But we can live... We can live for Christ because Jesus, first of all, has delivered us from the slavery of sin and death. Look Look at verse 17 through 19. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is a pagan life that is horrific. It is a life that has nothing to do with knowing God. And it is a life that ends in only one place, destruction. It is a life that is a tragic, it's a tragic description of of who we were and what life is. And it aptly describes the emptiness and the bankruptcy that was in our lives and what it means to live a life separated from God. That futility in our thinking, that the way we thought about life and people and God was distorted and filled with folly and foolishness. We're darkened in our understanding. We're completely blind to truth. We create what we believe is our own truth. And we live that truth out in the way we want to live it. And and Paul describes it as just greedy and sensual. We're alienated from the life of God. I, have, I know of no more depressing words in Scripture. Alienated from the life of God. To be completely separated from God. To know nothing of God's goodness. To know nothing of God's love. To know nothing of God's mercy. To know nothing of God's compassion. Literally, these, these are the walking dead. We're ignorant due to our hardened hearts because we're stubborn. Well, maybe you're not stubborn. I'm stubborn. I understand what it means to be stubborn. They were, they're callous. We're callous, unfeeling, and giving ourselves up to a, a spiral of sin, a deepening lifestyle of sin, sensuality, greed, and every kind of impurity. And from this slavery, there was humanly no way out. There was, there was hopelessness from this lifestyle. There was nothing we could do to change the course of our lives. Our eternal destiny was hopeless. And although this verse begins negatively, like I said, no longer walk as the Gentiles do, Paul brings in this life into the passage when he says in the King James, henceforth or no longer. In other words, you are no longer a slave to sin. You've been delivered. What, what do you battle now? What temptations do you face now? I, I so want to grow. I, I do want to be different. And I, and I, I want to learn to be patient. I'm not the most patient driver. Actually, I'm not a patient driver. And, I, I, and I'm a guy. I'm competitive. I like to be first. I, 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 remember, I remember just wanting to grow in that way. And Marilyn, Marilyn you know, we're driving along, and, and, and she wants me to drive like a girl, and I want to drive like a guy. And, and so sometimes 
that creates a little tension in the car. Um, and having lived in North Carolina in Charlotte, which is NASCAR country, I can drive a lot faster. You know, it's, just, it's allowed in that part of the country. And, and so I, I do. I like to get somewhere fast. I, I mean, if, if it's going to take 10 minutes, I know we can get there in five. I just know we can. And I remember when we were living in Atlanta, I, I just, this was just how I approached driving. And one day I was at a stoplight and, and it was a, one of those stoplights where it's two lanes and then it goes into one lane. You know that experience. And, and so there's this van next to me and I'm, and I'm not even looking at the van. I'm just looking ahead at the light. And it's, it's really, it's kind of like, you know, red, yellow, green, boom, you know. And so the moment that light turned green, I just hit the gas and this van's going with me and I just cut right in front of them. And I just felt so good. <laughs> it was just, it was like, yeah, what a highlight moment of my day. And I look in the rearview mirror and it's this woman in my church. <laughs> and she's waving at me. <laughs> That helped me to grow in patience. <laughs> I, I, I just, I am. I'm delivered from sin and yet I'm being transformed as a new creation. I'm, I'm no longer the person I was before knowing Christ. Although I was dead in my trespasses, I'm alive in Christ now. Because of God's mercy, I've been saved. I've been made alive. I've been delivered that all I was enslaved to. And the glorious truth of the gospel is this. Because Christ has delivered me, Satan has no claim on me. Sin has no power over me. God's judgment against me no longer exists because Jesus has delivered me through his death. I can live for Christ because the gospel has changed my life. I've been delivered from the slavery of sin and death. But I can also live for Christ because he has revealed himself to me that I might know him. He's revealed himself to me that I can, I can know God personally. You know, Paul's writing here that they are alienated from the life of God. That simply means they had no knowledge of God. And, and as Paul talks about knowing God, as we talk about knowing God, we're talking about an intimacy, knowing God closely. That Jesus has revealed himself that I'm no longer darkened in my understanding. I'm no longer blind Look at verse 20. Look at verse 19. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 20. You learned Christ. You heard the gospel. You learned Christ who Jesus was. In, in your former life, in our former life, we were ignorant, we were blind, we were futile, we were hopeless. But yet Paul has revealed himself to us. Paul says Christ has revealed himself to us and we know him now. We know the truth. We know who God is through Jesus Christ. 
And Paul defines in the next two verses what it means to have learned Christ. He says that he has opened our ears to hear, assuming that you heard about him and then you were taught in him as the truth is in Christ. Jesus opened my mind. He opened my heart. He allowed my ears to hear what the gospel was saying. When I was dead in sin, I was made alive in Christ. He let me hear the good news for what it is. Good news. He let me see him when my eyes could only see the pleasures of this world. He took my burdens of sin when I was incapable of handling them myself. He gave me eternal life when my future only promised death. He showed love to me when all I could do was hate him. He revealed himself to me that I might become his friend. I was not a friend of God. When I learned Christ, I was radically changed. When I learned Christ, when I learned Christ and I began opening up the Bible for the first time. I met somebody I had never met before. I learned about somebody who was just supernatural, amazing, undefinable, marvelous, magnificent, glorious. I never knew those things before. I opened the Bible prior to knowing Christ. It was just words on a page. Now I open the Bible and I can read a scripture passage that I've read a hundred times before. And it's like, bam! Who put that in the Bible? Where'd that come from? And this life comes to me. And it's all because I learned Christ. It's all because I know Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. That we are taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. We're taught in Him. You know, prior to knowing Jesus Christ, I I didn't want to know him. I didn't want to be taught by him. I can remember being invited to meetings. Young life at school. Friends inviting me to church. Somebody standing up there talking about Jesus. And it have absolutely no effect upon my life. He was just falling on, on deaf ears. And a dead heart. But then I learned Christ. And I, I came to know him. And now I want to be taught by him. You're here because you want to be taught. You open your Bible in the mornings as you have some time with God. And you want to be taught by him. Do you know that's Supernatural. That's not who you were. And apart from learning Christ, apart from knowing Christ, that's not who you want to be. 
But you're a new creation. You are a new creation. You can live for Christ because you've been delivered. And you can live for Christ because you've learned Christ. You, you know him. As new creations, Jesus is in us. And he's near us and he's with us. Look at verse, the last part of verse 21, as the truth is in Jesus. This is the first time when we come to know Christ, when we learn Christ, that really is the first time that we can understand what truth is. No longer do we fashion truth for what we want it to be. Well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. What's true for me is true for me. In fact, truth is whatever I want it to be. And we live in a way that is nothing but folly, not truth. And as we learn Christ, who is the embodiment of truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we learn Christ, we we learn the way. When we learn Christ, we learn the truth. When we learn Christ, we experience life real life. Brothers and sisters, we have not only been delivered, we have come to know Christ. And thirdly, Paul says, he is transforming us to become more like him. This is a radical, radical change. A radical change. You don't want, for the most part, to do the things that you used to do. You're different. Sometimes I see the opposite of a transformed life coming out of me, like in my driving or in other areas of life, mostly my driving. When I get on 355 and there's a school bus in front of me with children who are lovely children, for some reason have to stop every five feet because they can't walk five feet. (laughs) And that impatience and that competitiveness, competitiveness rears its ugly head. And I just remember I'm being transformed. I'm being transformed. When Marilyn asked me to take out the trash at the, the most important moment of a golf tournament. What is it she doesn't understand about golf tournaments? And so what if the trash doesn't go out for the next hour? It's not going to change the world. And my selfishness just comes pouring out. Uh, I trust some of you can identify We're being transformed. We're being made more like him. Do you ever think like I do? Am I really changing? Have I, have I really changed? If I am changing, then why do I still do the same things? And how can I really change? 
Well, Scripture does say that in this transformation process, we are cooperating with God. He does expect us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There is something we can do, but more importantly, first and foremost, he wants us to know that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. That the work of salvation, the work of transformation is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the work of God in me. And I cooperate with it. God is working in us patiently. He is working in us consistently. He is working in us powerfully. He is working in us effectively. And it's not dependent upon how faithful we are, although we should be faithful. He's promised to bring us to completion. I don't know what that day is going to be like. I can't wait for it. Well, I can wait. I'm not ready to quite go just yet. But there's a day where I will be all that God intends for me to be. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The way you learn Christ is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off that old self. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. I think in this passage that is the most encouraging part of this passage to me. That I am created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. And so are you. You are created after the likeness of God. Even when you don't feel particularly transformed, you are created in the likeness of God. In true righteousness, because it's Christ's righteousness. In true holiness, because you have been made holy. I can live for Christ because I am a new creation. I can put off my former manner of life, which is corrupt. And I can put off these deceitful desires. I can put off, I can no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Because I have been created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. So because Jesus has transformed us, we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is, remember, this is Paul's manifesto, Paul's treatise, Paul's greatest work 
on what it means to live in the local church, what it means to be a child of God, what it means to know Christ and live that out in the context of a local church. This is what this is about. And these words about not must no longer walk as Gentiles and putting off the old and putting on the new and understanding the transforming process that God is at work in us and understanding that we are created after the likeness of God, that is in all the context of this local church. That you are to live this out here. How else am I to know how impatient I am without cutting off Susan Lytle at the stoplight? How else am I to know that I am hard in my heart unless somebody here helps me to see that? And it is among you that I want to walk this out. It's among you that I want to learn to put off my old self. It's among you that I want to learn how to put on the new self. It's among you that I want to display the life of Christ. So let's be obedient to these words. Let's no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Let's put off the old ways because Christ has freed us from the slavery of these old ways. And let's put on the new ways. Let's live in righteousness, true righteousness and holiness because we are created after the likeness of God. Paul has... Paul is... He's a wise pastor... He doesn't just give instruction. He gives truth. He gives theology. He gives doctrine. He gives what it what really is the foundation of what it means to live for Christ. That he's delivered us. He's made himself known to us. And he is transforming us. We can live for God. 